Welcome to episode 206 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat, for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's filets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 206 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great. How about you? I am great. How's your book coming along? You know, I think I've reached a turning point this week. Like, you know, it's it's very research heavy. A <laughs> lot of research. In fact, it's harder to write than Fast Feast Repeat was. So I've just been bogged down with all the research, but I've turned a corner I'm at the putting it all together stage, making it flow, and it's starting to really come together. So that's that's the good part. In a word doc. Oh, yeah. Doing it in a Word doc. I can't imagine a whole book in a Word doc. So what do you do yours in? 
Grivner will change your life. Why is that? It's like this portal and then you have, you can keep all of your stuff in different sections that you can like drag around and it's just so easy. So basically any section of the book you want to work on, you have it there on the side and you can go work on that and you don't have to go through like just one whole big document and you can just easily move stuff around and there's places for notes and you can put notes directly into what you're writing, like little sticky notes on the side. It's just the most amazing thing. Yeah. I put them all in anyway, just my own little way. Like I, I'll write a little note to myself and highlight it yellow right in the middle of the document. I use the table of contents to get around. You know, like it's clickable. So it gets me from place to place. Oh, it's on the side, the table of contents. No, it's back at the beginning. It's really, it's, I don't know, it feels very intuitive to me. Maybe I would love the other, but I thought about doing this one in Google Docs instead. And then I was like, nah. (laughs) The reason I know about Scrivener is one of my best friends from LA who is, I think he's like a Wall Street Journal bestselling artist or artist author. And he self-published all of his books originally. And he was like, do Scrivener, don't look back. So I did Scrivener. I didn't look back. amazing. And then you can export it as a Word doc because publishers, you know, use Word docs. Well, I'll I'll see about that. I might look at it next time. We'll see. But right now it's it's going. It's getting there. Word count's going up. (laughs) Yeah. I have a sort of exciting announcement. I don't know if I said this on the podcast already. I know I told you he officially scheduled last night. And who is he? Gary Tobbs. Oh, fair. I don't know that you said it on the podcast or not. I'm so excited. It's a very surreal moment because... I think you did mention that. You mentioned that. Yeah. I think so because I think we talked about good calories, bad calories. He had said he wanted to come on, but he hadn't actually like scheduled. And so last night he scheduled. So it's it's in the calendar. I'm so excited. Very cool. It is so amazing. You know, I'm not connected to as many of, of the big names as you know because you've been interviewing them, but you know, Tim Spector is somebody I really look up to. And I was actually talking to the Zoe app people the other day. They have such a long waiting list and they have like a special waiting list just for <laughs> for people who have, are in my audience, which is funny. Like you can be on the long waiting list or the special waiting list, but we were emailing and she's like, I realized you and, and Tim have not ever been, you know, connected officially. Would you like to do a Facebook live together? I'm like, oh my God. Oh, are you excited? Are you going to do that? Well, not till after I finish the book because I've got too much going. I don't have time to like do anything else right now. I can barely do what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's just very exciting. You know, when someone you look up to, because his research has shaped my thinking from earliest days. It's very surreal. It is. I'm like, he knows who I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really wonderful community, too. Like, all these people that I'm meeting and most people seem to know each other, but there's some really wonderful people. So it's true. It really, it really is true. Yep. So I'm now working my way through Marty Kendall's book. Is his book out yet? I don't know. Did he send you, send it to PDF version? Mm-hmm. See, I don't know the format that he's, he's doing it in. Like, like, I don't know how he, how he distributes it or if it's going to be, I don't really know. I just know he sent it to me and I, I skimmed through it in, in the format that he sent it. I don't know how how other people get it. If it's available. Right. I feel like it is, though. Maybe through his website. Yeah, I'll have to ask him. I was 
so excited last night reading the section. It was what I've always wanted to know, which I'm honestly embarrassed that I hadn't. Oh, is that the the screenshot that you sent me? Was that? No. Well, it was so, it was around that section. I'm embarrassed I haven't sat down and read about the, what's the word? Like, like the Krebs cycle and the Krebs cycle, basically. I now understand burning fat, not in the context of ketosis and burning fat in the context of ketosis. Like, I feel like I understand it now. Wait, can I very briefly, like very briefly say it? Sure. It's so exciting. Okay. Because they say when you teach it, that's how you learn it. And I'm still trying to learn it myself. That's a hundred percent true. From a teacher, let me tell you, one of my best strategies as a classroom teacher was having kids teach things. His second keto lie, because his book is these keto lies, and his second keto lie is you have to be in ketosis to burn fat. Right. And we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so basically, the Krebs cycle, which I am so embarrassed I hadn't sat down and tried to actually learn, but it's our normal way that we generate energy. Like when we're not in ketosis, we're using the Krebs cycle. And so it's using carbs, protein, and fat. And when we have fat, okay, I want to make this really simple. When we have fat, it forms a compound or it's broken down, I think, into a compound. It forms acetyl-CoA. Oh, and listeners, by the way, we have transcripts of this show. (laughs) So those will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 206. Okay. So Fat is, I think, broken down into acetyl-CoA, and it condenses with oxaloacetate to form citrate. Okay, but the key thing is that oxaloacetate requires protein or carbs to be formed. So basically, you get a compound from fat, and it combines or does something magical with this other compound that is made from protein and carbs. So that's why they say... Have you ever heard the phrase like fat burns in the flame of carbs or something? Like there's some phrase about that. Yeah, I feel like I have. It's because in the Krebs cycle, you need protein or carbs to burn fat. You can't just burn the fat. So like on a normal diet and a non-ketogenic diet, you're burning fat and you're using carbs or protein to burn it in the Krebs cycle. I mean, my mind is just being blown. This is something I should have understood forever ago. And here's what's so funny. I'm just like, I don't need to understand that. I don't want to. See, I feel like I really need to understand this. Oh, we had a huge argument. Can I just tell you a funny argument? Get back to this real quick and let you keep telling us about it. We went out to eat a week ago, and we had a huge argument about mercury and fish. It was huge. Here's why. Because I was was saying mercury, and he's like, it's actually methylmercury. And I'm like, I don't even care. And then we had this huge argument about how I should care. And I was like, but I don't. Because there are multiple different forms. He's like, well, the chemists would know. I'm like, well, that's like what? A tenth of a percent of the people? I would have been so engaged in that conversation. <laughs> well, I was like, it doesn't matter. Because he was, you know, I was, I was talking about mercury and fish. And he's like, well, you need to specify. I'm like, I don't think I do. Because everywhere you read it, it just says mercury. I don't think anyone needs to specify. I don't need to prove that. I, anyway, back to you. Unless you listen to episode of the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast with Chris Shade. The show notes are melanieavalon.com slash heavy metal detox. We talked about mercury and methylmercury and the different forms of mercury in detail. Well, Chad Stevens is very much interested in all that. And I'm like, look, look, I am trying to get across this concept, mercury and fish bad. Wait, wait, 
What was the fish in question? It doesn't matter. Just the fact that it, you know, we were talking about the concept of bioaccumulation and how these things build up in the tissues of animals. I'm really trying hard to convince Chad, and this is this is hard, that we need to buy organic everything because he is very much price-centered. And I'm like, come on now, stop it. It costs more in the long run with our health. In the long run, it's a huge difference, I think. And he's a chemist, and he, so it's hard to convince him, believe it or not. Some of the scientists are harder to convince than just like normal people. Anyway, back, I'm sorry to interrupt your story. I just had to say this is just an example of that because Chad's like, everyone needs to know. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> Anyone who really wants to know can dig in. Was he saying that the form in fish was not the toxic form of mercury? No. He wasn't saying that at all. He said that he thought I needed to take it. Instead of saying mercury, I should say methylmercury. Okay, okay, gotcha. And I was like, I don't think so, because I don't think that's the conversation that 99% of people are having about it. People don't need me to go beyond. And he was saying that people did. Anyway. I'll put a link in the show notes. I have a blog post about mercury. I go into that in detail. So if you do want to know about methylmercury and the different forms of mercury, talk to Chad, talk to Melody. Yes, we'll put links in the show notes. <laughs> so so that's why there's that phrase, fat burns in the flame of carbs or something. I've always heard that. And that's why you can never be in ketosis and burn fat because you you don't require ketosis to burn fat. Okay, so I said that fat combines or condenses with this oxaloacetate to form citrate, to form energy. If we don't have oxaloacetate, which is created from protein and carbs, that's when the fat shuttles over to the ketogenic process. And I sort of relearned about the three types of ketones. Can I talk about it briefly? It's very appropriate to talk about here. And it's why I was never a fan of blood ketone measuring. And actually, it was Marty that taught me that. And it was a long time ago, his old blog posts, not this book, but his old blog posts taught me about why blood ketones can be confusing. Anyway, go ahead. So this is what happens. So the acetyl-CoA doesn't have its little friend made from carbs and protein, oxaloacetate. It gets shuttled over to the like the whole ketogenic cycle. And what happens is, so acetyl-CoA, it gets converted into acetoacetate. Marty really explains it really, really well because I had the Biosense people on the show. That's when I the first kind of learned about this, but he explained it really well. So acetoacetate is one type of ketone because there's like three types. It's the usable energy form. So what he compares it to is kind of like glucose in our bloodstream because you know how blood sugar is instant energy in a way. Like you can you can just burn it. And that's what acetoacetate is. It's also the type that shows up in the urine. And what's important about that is that when it's showing up in the urine, that's why we know it hasn't been used for energy because it is the energy form. So it's not like in the urine, it's like a byproduct of a ketone, like it is the ketone. And it's more likely to show up in the urine if your body is not efficient yet at using it. Then you're peeing it out, sorry for my language, because your body isn't great at at using it yet. That's why we have high levels of urinary ketones early in the process, not later. 100%. Because when we first start this ketogenic process, we start creating all this acetoacetate, which we can either use and burn, in which case we wouldn't see it in the urine, or 
it can just go unused into the urine. But as we become more efficient, we're not going to see it in the urine because some other magical things are happening to it, which are the acetoacetate, which is the one type of ketone. It can either become acetone or BHB, beta hydroxybutyrate, which a a lot of listeners might've heard of BHB because people talk about it a lot. The acetone, that's what comes out in our breath. The ketone breath that people experience, it's from the acetone. And what's really interesting is it's a byproduct of burning acetoacetate for energy. So what I mean by that, it's not like you had the acetoacetate and it got converted to acetone. It's like a new thing. It's when you burn the acetoacetate, acetone is a byproduct and that comes out through your breath. It's like where there's smoke, there's fire. That's the smoke. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is what I sent the screenshot to you last night was that's why measuring breath ketones, it's a sign of burning ketones for energy because what you're measuring is like the byproduct in a way. So that's really interesting. And then the other thing that can happen from acetoacetate, which again, acetoacetate is like the instant ketone energy glucose, is it can become a storage form, which I didn't really think of it as a storage form until I read this in Marty's book. So BHB is, it's also in the bloodstream, which is a little bit confusing, but if he compares it to glycogen, it's kind of like when we talk about glucose and glycogen, glucose being our instant energy and glycogen being the storage form of glucose in our muscles. BHB is like the storage form of ketone. So it's in the blood. And when we're measuring our, our blood ketone levels, that's a storage form. That's not actually a actively being used form, which is very, very fascinating to me. And so that's why he makes the case that we actually don't necessarily want high blood ketone levels because that just shows that we have a lot of stored fuel. It's like having a lot of stored glycogen. You know, I love Marty. And I was just going to say, he really has a way of breaking it down. It was just so clear reading all of this. And that's why he makes the case that high blood ketone levels, because we can't actually really measure acetoacetate. That would be the ideal, I guess, if we, I mean, we, we measure it in the urine, but not in the blood or anything like that. So all we really measure in the blood is the BHB, the storage form. So that doesn't really indicate how much you're actually using. Like, you know, that brings me back to when we got the Keto Mojo and we were testing our blood ketones and you and I both had very low levels, but I had already read Marty's blog post that explained it. And he's got this graph. I think he has the same graph in the book with the unicorns over on the left side and like the, what you really want is low levels of overall energy in your blood. And I'm like, no, we don't want them to be high. High levels are early in the process, you know, you might see high levels in the blood, but that's not our goal to have high levels in the blood as we're living our lives. I love the phrase he uses, energy toxicity. And, you know, it's high levels of any kind of energy in the blood are are actually a sign of metabolic problems. Yeah, actually, he has a graph. Yeah, I think that's what I'm talking about with the with the unicorns on the left and the the good side, everything low. Yeah, I have so many questions for him. I'm really excited to interview him. I finally understand it because I remember you and I were looking at it probably a few months ago and we were trying to figure out exactly what it was measuring. But reading it in the context of the book, I now understand what the graph is showing. It's showing total energy of glucose and ketones, and then what percent of that is ketones, what percent is glucose. 
what I want to ask them is none of the dots on the graph, none of them are super high ketone, low energy. None of them. And I find that very shocking that out of 3000 data points. So I have to ask them about that. If, I mean, it makes it seem like all the people who are low energy were lower ketones as well. Yeah. That's the sign of metabolic health is having low levels of all of it circulating in your blood because it, it, you don't want it to build up. Problems occur when the energy builds up in your blood, when, no matter what that energy is. We don't want high levels of any of it. And I mean, it's it's fascinating listening to Marty talk about or read, you know, I in- interviewed him for intermittent fasting stories, but reading his book, he talks about who was in his kitchen, Stephen Finney. Finney, yeah. Of Finney and Velk, of the art and science of carb- low-carbohydrate living, and the whole idea that we needed to have high blood ketones came from a graph or a, a table that's... I just read this last night, so it's like really fresh on my mind. Two studies from the 1980s. And the, also, they were from people who had just begun living a ketogenic lifestyle, and so that's when the levels are high. You know, in practice, they go down. <laughs> And people are like, oh, my God, something's wrong with me. My levels have gone down. No, that's normal. Yeah, and nobody has really updated this. He even said that they've done, what was it the Verta study since then, which actually did look at people on ketogenic diets for like two years. And I love what he said in the book. He said that's what it found. It found that, I'm just going off of memory, but I think on average after two years, people who have been keto for two years, their blood ketones were less than 0.27 millimole. And like that data was in the study, but there was no focus on that data. Like the authors didn't really draw attention to that. But it's such important data, especially with the fact that the way people are chasing ketones. And so when you hear about Marty's book and the title of it, Big Fat Keto Lies, is that what it's called? Big Fat, yes. It may sound like he's against keto and he's not. Not at all. So that's, (laughs) you know, he's not an anti-keto person. The question I want to ask him I have like a million, but the one I really want to know is he does say that when we're on a lower carb diet and we don't have, you know, as much of the oxaloacetate, he said the body can do one of two things. It can start ketosis or the Krebs cycle can adapt to still run off of fat with less oxaloacetate. And I'm I'm guessing maybe we could generate that oxaloacetate from gluconeogenesis or something. I want to know if there is, if that's like a problem. Like, is there any downside to just staying in the Krebs cycle and not going the ketosis route? I'm really dying to know. Like from like an oxidative byproduct perspective, because I feel like that's what I, I don't know, just intuitively, I just wonder if for like years, that's what I was doing, like never even really going into ketosis and just staying in the Krebs cycle. Well, I I know that I do go into ketosis daily and it's because, I mean, I have the Biosense breath ketone monitor and I I do exhale (laughs) ketones in my breath every single day. That's the other thing. If breath ketones are a byproduct of using acetoacetate for energy, it seems that the breath ketones probably would not go down the way. No, mine do not. Mine mine have not. I have never stopped exhaling breath ketones. Because they are a sign of burning ketones for fuel. And if that's what we're doing, it seems like BHB should go down if you're becoming more efficient, but breath acetone, it seems like should stay. Yeah. In practice, that's what I have found to be true. I do want people to not get obsessed with measuring things necessarily, you know, just because 
I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of benefit to it, to you know, if you want to know what's happening in your body. But if you're going to measure anything, measure the breath ketones. And I have to admit, I do pull out my biosense and and I'll blow and there they are. So it's it's just you know confirming. I'm not chasing a high number. That's the fear I get to. People would be like, I'm not going to eat until I blow a twenty or something, you know, or you know maybe the number is is not even completely accurate, but. Instead of trying to chase a number, just you can say, yep, there they are. Yeah, 100%. And he also has an amazing chart. It charts like fat, carb, protein intake over the years correlated to obesity, and it shows total energy. And he talks about how carb amounts have changed, fat amounts have changed, but obesity continues to rise. And the thing that correlates is total energy. We're eating more. That was something I talked about in my book recently. We are actually eating more. And the reason why is is really complicated. But for one thing, the nutrient density of our food has gone way down. We're eating, you know, basically nothing good. We're just eating all this processed food. So we have to eat more. You know, I talked about this in Fast Feast Repeat, that our bodies are not searching for calories. They're searching for nutrients. You know, there's lots and lots of research that supports this. When you eat a highly nutritious diet and get what your body needs, it suppresses your appetite, basically, because you've eaten the nutrients. Like, I have one study that I just read yesterday that appetite-suppressing hormones went up with a nutrient-dense diet of real foods. It's all connected. And, you know, the research that I'm doing for this new book, like I said, it's taking me down all these different rabbit holes, but... Really, like, we're in a wasteland, a wasteland of nutrition. And so we just keep eating and eating, trying to find the nutrients, and they're not there. You know, modern farming practices, even high-yield crops, for example. You know, the, the foods have been bred to yield more, and so it's like the nutrients are diluted. So, like, a tomato is not even a tomato anymore. That's one of the benefits of heirloom varieties. Absolutely, 100%. You put them side by side, and the nutrient density in the heirloom varieties that haven't been bred for yield, so many more nutrients. Anyway, (laughs) it's so complicated, but it makes you mad. And then you understand the obesity epidemic, and you understand why we're eating more food. And then you feel sorry for yourself back in the day when you were eating all this food and trying to, like I'm talking about myself here, when I was obese, and I like understand why. There's a lot to it. And then on top of that, what we talked about and what he talked about is there are so many benefits to being in a low energy state, which also further exacerbates the problem because ideally you'd want to be a nutrient-dense low energy state. That's it. Yeah. That's really really what he's doing with people. He is teaching people how to be in a low-energy, nutrient-dense state. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited to finish because I'm only on the, like I said, the keto line number two. I was just so happy last night. I was like, this is the best thing ever. So we don't need as much food as we think we do, (laughs) but it needs to be full of nutrients. The end. (laughs) Thank you for attending my TED Talk. I know, right? Ah, that's so funny. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for entertaining that. I wanted to do that to sort of learn it for myself. And again, I don't need to know all those what's happening in the Krebs cycle, but it's fascinating. It really is. 
our bodies are so complicated. And then, you know, we really oversimplify everything. Every single conversation we ever have is an oversimplification of the complicated things that are going on in the body. We really don't even understand everything that's going on, truthfully. I know. When I say we, I don't mean me and Melanie. I mean, like, the big we. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody wants to boil it down to it's carbs or it's fat. I'm pretty sure it's not just carbs or fat. It's so many things. I don't know if he talks about it more later in the book, but he did say that the thing that really hasn't been plotted, or he talks about Tobbs a lot. I'm interviewing him before I interview Gary Tobbs, so that will be interesting. But he talks about how Gary Tobbs wrote Good Calories, Bad Calories, which really demonized carbs and then had to reconcile the fact that there were high-carb populations without all of these issues. So then he wrote the case against sugar, which demonizes processed sugar. But then Marty Kendall says the thing that's not being considered is like refined seed oils, the PUFAs again, seed oils. I do think they are huge, huge factor. Oh, I have a little number for you. I wrote this today as well. I'm going to play the guessing game that you always play with me. Oh my gosh. I I love the guessing game. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. In a normal population eating unrefined, just normal, real foods, what percent of calories in just real foods when they're just eating real foods, like, you know, beans, grains, vegetables, fruits, meat, whatever, a natural diet, like a Weston Price kind of, you know, diet, what percent would be from just naturally occurring polyunsaturated fats that occur in foods? I love this question. And are you eating meat? You're just eating all the foods, like like you live in... A natural place that's not modern era, it's a thousand years ago, you're just eating food, what percent of just real food that you're eating has polyunsaturated fat in it? What percent? I would say maybe like 4%. It's four. Oh my God. Did you just, it's exactly four, 4%. Oh yeah, I got it right. You got it right. Well, what percent in the modern Western diet you know, the SAD diet, the standard American diet, what percent of our calories are coming from PUFAs? If you're eating a normal standardized American diet full of processed foods, and normally 4% is what you would find just eating from nature. PUFAs are not bad in the form of like, you know, omega-6s are not even bad. Having too many omega-6s is the problem. So what would be the percent that we've ended up with now? What percent of all calories? And keeping in mind, people are eating protein, fat, carbs. What percent of all the calories you're consuming in a modern diet? 26. 30. I was going to say 27. Okay. It's 30. You were close. So instead of 4%, we're getting 30%. Well, tell me that's not going to screw up your body. Wow. Clog things up. That's huge. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, if you're running your car and putting the wrong fuel in your car, your car certainly wouldn't function very well. Yeah, because what I was thinking was I was thinking what percent of fat do I think the modern standard American diet is? Did it talk about that? Is it around like 35 or something percent? Oh, it's I don't know. It might be higher. I would think it's higher. If 30% are PUFAs, then clearly fat would be higher than 30%. Yeah, I wonder if it's a lot higher. It might be 50%. I mean, we're not eating, you know, modern day people. That's one of the things that bothers me when you read some of the rationale for why everybody should be low carb and why carbs are the problem. They say that we did a great job eating low fat. Well, we didn't. Yeah. 
We just switched to poofas. We switched to vegetable oils. Yep. Oh, I should have known that because I think I did know that it was around that. Total fat percentage didn't change. The composition did. We reduced saturated fat. Right. Anyway, fascinating again. (laughs) I'm learning so much. And, you know, it's really, again, processed foods. Not good for our bodies in so many ways. Step away, friends. The more you read, the more you're like, oh, my gosh, this is. (laughs) Anyway, does that mean I'll never eat a Dorito again? No. Does it mean I won't? Probably not. (laughs) I mean, probably will not. I could just go down a rabbit hole. Like, I'm very much like, if I have one, I can't stop. So I just have to say no. I'm an all or none person. They're engineered to be that way. I know. Well, that was a wonderful intro. (laughs) Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. Should we answer a listener question or two? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So to start things off or continue things, we have a question from Samantha. The subject is my lifestyle. Samantha says, hello, my name is Samantha. I'm a 53-year-old five-foot-two lady who owns and works in a couple of fish and chip shops in Torbay, South Devon, UK. I'm overweight by about 30 pounds, which isn't a huge amount, I admit, but it's still unattractive. My issue is I usually start work at 2.30 and finish by 9.30. I don't have breakfast and my main meal is around 1.30. Whilst working, I never eat chips, etc. But when I get home, I am very hungry and give in to whatever I can find. I've tried black coffee, but I'm still hungry. I don't see how I can change my eating window due to business commitments as even if it is open for five to six hours, my eating downfall still falls outside of the allotted time. Please, can you give me some advice? Many thanks, Samantha. Yeah, this is tricky because it sounds to me, Samantha, like you're eating before you go to work. If you start work at 2.30 and you're eating at 1.30 and then you're done by 9.30 p.m. So the problem is I'm not sure if you have time to eat at work, but it sounds like you probably don't. You're busy working while you're at work. So you cannot eat between 2.30 and 9.30. So you're solving the problem by eating before you go to work. But then when you get home at 9.30, you're starving. That's because of the way your body, you know, you've, you've worked. And so now you've like finished processing that 1.30 meal and your body needs some more fuel, but you're not far enough along to really be like, you know, deep in the fat burning state. And you're hungry. Because like I sleep through that part of my fast, the part that you're having trouble with, I'm asleep. It's like the transition part. Right. Right. That's why you're hungry. Honestly, I don't know what time you go to bed. I really would would shift it. If it were me, I would eat later after 930, after after your shift is over and work in the fasted state. You're just shifting your window. That's what I would do. And and I wouldn't go like to bed at 10 p.m. Obviously, eating at 930, going to bed at 10, you know, I would stay awake a little longer. That reminds me, Melanie, kind of of your schedule. When you were working in the restaurant, and wouldn't you eat like after you got off work? I always ate at night, and I tried to get home early, but sometimes I wouldn't get home till like 11 p.m. And that's when you would eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I think that if, if I were you, Samantha, and I ate my main meal at 1.30, then I went to work from 2.30 to 9.30, and then I came home, I would be starving, starving, starving. So... I don't have a, a solution for if you're eating at 1.30, I think you're going to continue to be hungry other than you're just going to have to change your window and try that. Unless you want to have a really long window, eat at 1.30, then, then eat a little something else when you get home. And if you're not snacking or eating at all from 2.30 to 9.30, maybe that'll work. You know, it's, it's a longer window, but you're not like eating constantly. So eat at 1.30, your main meal, then have a little something when you get home. I just I don't think you're going to be able to do a five to six hour window and, and not be hungry when you get home. That was really great. You actually you interpreted it different 
than I did, but I think you interpreted it correctly. Oh, what were you thinking? I was thinking that she can't change due to business commitments. I was thinking that she ate with people during that work period. I feel like she doesn't. I mean, if you're hungry after your window closes, you need to arrange your window so it closes to encompass your hungry time. There are two options, basically. Keeping the same window and just saying no. Kind of like the Glenn Livingston Never Binge Again pig approach where for him, he has a book on nighttime overeating and he talks about, you know, ways to just not eat at night. Having like kitchen closing rituals where, you know, don't go in the kitchen after eating or... He says some people like to have actual like rituals, like you say kitchen closed (laughs) out loud. And so basically like just not doing it or the second option, which is what I think is more appropriate is making your eating window cover when you're going to be hungry, which is later. I was thinking she was able to eat during her job. So I was going to suggest not having the 130 meal starting eating later and just having those hours cover when she gets home. But if she can't eat at all during her meal, then it would be sort of like a a Melanie approach, which I I still eat really late. I eat really late. Like I, if I was doing her schedule, I rarely eat before nine thirty. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm usually in the bed at nine thirty. Yeah. The only time I do is really if I have I'm getting dinner with people. I might be having a drink at nine thirty, but I usually eat really late. It works well for me. We ate late the other night. We went out with friends, and it was like. 9.30, we were on our way home. I'm like, what in the world is happening? Why is it so late? <laughs> I should live in Europe. Like Spain, dinner's at like 9 p.m., right? Yeah, and like Germany. I remember growing up because we have family in Germany and we travel there all the time. And I hated going to dinner because you would get at the restaurant at like 8.30 and then you'd be there until like 11. I mean, it was late. Maybe it wasn't that late, but it's very normal there to eat late. So I like your suggestion, which was what I agree with. Yeah, eat late, which sounds crazy because we just are so used to being told not to eat late. And really, I I still feel like the idea of don't eat late is in the paradigm of eating all day. If you eat all day and eat late, that's a problem. I still think if all things were controlled and it was equally easy to do, and you had to choose between having all of your meal at night or all of your meal in the morning, I think there might be some benefits to the morning. But in a real life practical situation, I think the majority of the things that they demonize late night eating for has nothing to do with it being late late at night. It's you've been eating all day. So by the time it's night, you're not insulin sensitive. You've been eating all day. We were talking earlier about the, the high fuel state. You're in a high energy state and then you're eating on top of that But if you haven't eaten all day, you're in a low energy state, you're insulin sensitive, eating tends to make us tired. So that's why a lot of people who do the one meal day at night actually sleep well. Yeah, I talked about this just the last time, I think it was last week, that I've now shifted my window back to later because I, I wasn't sleeping with the earlier window. Yeah. Sleep is important. I feel so much better with the later window. So let us know, Samantha. Yep. All right. We have a question from Ellie. Ellie is my cat's name. You knew that? Yeah. My cat. Oh, and my neighbor is named Ellie. We had a new neighbor move in. She's like, hi, I'm Ellie. I'm like, there's there's my cat. Her name's Ellie too. <laughs> All right. Lots of Ellie's. It's a beautiful name. By the way, do you know what my cat's name really is? What her full name is? 
Isn't she named after Eleanor Rigby? Yes, because we've got the Beatles theme going on with our pets, but she's Eleanor Rigby. All right, so Ellie's subject is non-scale victories. Hi, Jen and Melanie. Thank you both for being such an inspiration. Since I started intermittent fasting in June of 2020, you have both been instrumental to my success. I'm an avid listener of the podcast, as well as IF Stories and Melanie's Biohacking Podcast. I've read all of Jen's books, as well as What When Wine, and am always eager to learn more. My question is about non-scale victories. In the forums, it seems that many people seem to struggle with weight loss, but stay with it because of all the non-scale victories. I seem to have the opposite problem. I have had amazing success with weight loss. Since June, I have lost 50 pounds and am now at my goal weight. This is truly incredible considering my lifetime of struggles with weight. Fasting has been effortless, unlike anything I've ever done, and I am so grateful that I found this way of life. I can't imagine ever stopping. Despite my success, I have not seen a lot of changes other than my weight. Don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining and am so grateful, but I really had hoped to have improvements in other areas. My heartburn is still just as bad. My skin condition psoriasis is worse than ever. Most importantly, I'm still extremely fatigued and lack energy in my daily life. Some background. I have a daily eating window of anywhere from one to six hours. I like to switch it up and sometimes eat lunch so that I can have a longer fast the next day. I always fast clean, consuming just water and black coffee. I eat anything I want in my window and would resist changing this given my lifetime of diet mentality. I have found that I have slowly been gravitating toward more whole foods and my tastes have definitely changed. However, I will admit my diet is far from perfect and I do indulge in desserts and occasional processed food. I rarely drink alcohol. I do lead a stressful and hectic life, although less so since the pandemic. I am generally healthy and have had comprehensive blood work recently, including a full thyroid panel that has all been normal. Is there any chance that I will start to experience some of the benefits that others are always talking about outside of weight loss? Really appreciate your insight. Thanks, Ellie. And can I say one thing just real quick, Melanie, before you you start? You're still so new, Ellie. I know that June of 2020 sounds like it's been, you know, a few months, but it's only been less than a year. We're recording this in February. It took me over a year of being at goal before my seasonal allergies went away. It didn't happen right away. So that's all I want to say. You got so much time. There's some other things I will say later, but I'll let Melanie go in first. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 15% off my favorite blue light blocking glasses ever. So I am often asked, what are my favorite quote biohacking products and something I truly honestly cannot imagine my life without are blue light blocking glasses. So in today's modern environment, we are massively overexposed to blue light. It's a stimulating type of light, which can lead to stress, anxiety, headaches, and in particular sleep issues. Blue light actually stops our bodies from producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So our exposure to blue light can completely disrupt our circadian rhythm, make it hard to fall asleep, make it hard to stay asleep, and so much more. Friends, I identify as an insomniac. I would not be able to sleep without my blue light blocking glasses. I also stay up late working and wearing blue light blocking glasses at night has made it so I can do that and still fall asleep. 
My absolute favorite blue light blocking glasses on the market are Bon Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. Bond Charge makes an array of blue light blocking glasses in all different designs so you can truly find something that fits your style and reap all of the benefits of blue light blocking. They have their clear computer glasses. You can wear those during the day, especially if you're looking at screens all day to help with anxiety, headaches, and stress. They have their light sensitivity glasses. Those are tinged with a special yellow color, scientifically proven to boost mood, and they block even more blue light. Those are great for the day or evening. And then they have their blue light blocking glasses for sleep. Those are the ones that I put on at night while working before bed. Oh my goodness, friends. It's something you truly have to experience. You put on these glasses and it's like you just tell your brain, okay, it's time to go to sleep soon. They also have amazing blackout sleep masks. Those block 100% of light with zero eye pressure. I wear this every single night and I don't know how I would sleep without it. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com with the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. All right, now back to the show. Yes, so Ellie, thank you for your question. I love that she's read all of our books and loves all of the things. So as far as fasting and non-scale victories and seeing improvements in other areas besides weight loss. Well, first of all, to Jen's point, yes, there's definitely a lot of potential. The more you do, you will see changes. That said, I think there are a lot of health conditions and issues and challenges that we experience that you can't necessarily fast away. Yeah. That, that, that was my other thing I was going to say. <laughs> So depending on your environment and the food that you're eating, those factors are huge and they're going to play a huge role in different things that you might experience. So for example, the three that she listed were heartburn, psoriasis, and fatigue and lack of energy. So heartburn, for example, there's something happening with the food that you're eating. So if the food you're eating and your digestion surrounding that food is leading to heartburn, it's very unlikely fasting is going to change that. If you keep eating the combination of foods in the context that creates heartburn, it's probably going to keep creating heartburn. So that's just something that has to be addressed. I really caution against what a lot of people think that they should do for heartburn, which is PPIs, protein pump inhibitors, because those reduce stomach acid. So people take them because heartburn is seems to be excess stomach acid. It's usually not that. It's usually a lack of stomach acid. So your food doesn't digest. So your food builds up and comes up your throat and there is some acid in there. And so you get the heartburn. So a lot of people actually really, really can tackle heartburn by taking stomach acid in the form of HCL, which can seem counterintuitive, but it can really, really work. Also using digestive enzymes possibly and looking at the food choices to make sure they are food choices that you do digest well. That can really help with the heartburn. Psoriasis is generally, it's an autoimmune condition, I believe. If it's an autoimmune condition and it's reacting to something that you're either putting on your skin or eating, fasting is not going to change that. As long as you're being exposed to that trigger, which starts the psoriasis cascade, maybe it calms down during the fasted state, for example. But if you keep putting on something into your skin that's starting it, 
or eating something that is exacerbating it, that's probably going to keep happening. And then for fatigue and lack of energy, I mean, so many people experience that. That that thing that I think would be most likely to improve with the fasting, it is possible that if it is related, if your fatigue and lack of energy is completely a fuel processing thing where your body just is not adequately fat burning or switching into ketosis or something like that, that is something that maybe the fasting could address. That said, there are so many factors that can create fatigue and lack of energy. I mean, you got a thyroid panel, but thyroid, anemia, iron levels, your gut microbiome, infections, heavy metals. I mean, there's so, so many things. So this is a thing where I know she says she resists changing her food choices because of her diet mentality. Choosing whole foods that are nourishing and lead to health, that's not a diet in the diet mentality sense of things. It can seem like it because you are restricting other foods you would want to be eating. So it can hearken to that. And and definitely I can see how it could tap into past diet trauma from past diets. But if you can reframe and see it as choosing the foods that are supporting your health and focusing on what you can have rather than what you can't have, I think that will make hands down the biggest change in your conditions that you are experiencing. So Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And I also want to say there is not a single food out there that you can't make a good version of and enjoy it. Like there's not a single thing. Let's say you love Big Macs. I've been known to love a Big Mac. I could make a organic version here at, at my house that has only nutritious foods in it. So I could even make, you know, like Thousand Island dressing <laughs> that was was nutritious. You know, I depending on you know what my my start. You know, there's like mayonnaise. You can make homemade mayonnaise. I'm, I'm not making homemade mayonnaise. I'm buying mayonnaise. But you know, I've just started buying a brand that doesn't have all those poofas in it that we talked about earlier. And you can absolutely do it. So I'm never going to give up delicious foods or desserts. And so I enjoy, you know, for dessert, I still want to have a little something sweet. Maybe I'll have a couple of organic dates or a smoothie from Daily Harvest that are made with whole foods that are, you know, they come frozen. I grind them up in my blender and put in a little, you know, organic almond milk. It's delicious. And so I'm still having delicious foods every day. And I don't feel like I'm dieting. You know, I never want to do that again. So I don't think that there is any such thing as as a perfect diet, but you want to enjoy yourself. I do too. And I'm I'm not going to live a life that keeps me from enjoying myself. I've just refused to do it. So find foods that you love. Gravitate towards real food versions of the foods that you want. And even if that's recreating and making a grass-fed beef Big Mac at your house, do it. <laughs> You know, we've actually started to realize, Chad and I have, that the better versions that you make at home are actually more delicious. We went out, our food box didn't come one night, and so we had to go out to eat, and we went to Five Guys, which is actually a higher quality version of burger and fries than a lot of places out there. And we both used to love those fries, and we were like, ugh. You know, they were not delicious. Whereas if I take a potato and cut it up and toss it in olive oil and pop it in the oven, 
you don't feel gross after eating it, but you have the same experience of delicious potatoes. Yep, 100%. And it can be a fun thing, like, because some people might see it as daunting, but I like to see it as all of these wonderful new things that you get to experience taste-wise that ultimately, I mean, she even said that she felt like her taste buds were changing, and I think they'll continue to do that. Slowly. She is still so early on. I cannot express that enough. I've been living this lifestyle for years. You know, I started in 2014. It's 2021. I didn't have all of my non-scale victories and all in the first six months. It took years for my taste buds to change and for me to prefer, you know, homemade oven fries made from a potato that I toss in olive oil to, you know, a fast food fried fries. It's taken a long time. You've got this, Ellie. You do. You've got it, Ellie. We also have a question from Sandy. The subject is heartburn. She says, four days ago, I completed Jen's book, Delay, Don't Deny. Jen's story was my story. Same age, two kiddos, diet roller coaster, photo of me I didn't recognize, etc. But the clincher was the T-factor diet. That too was my very first diet. Wait, what was the T-factor diet? It's the fat one. Low fat. It's low fat. T meant thermic effect of food or something. And I can't remember something like that, but it was low fat. Okay. She says, I've been struggling with getting IF just right for about a year with starts and stops, knowing it was perfect for me. And Jen's story and book were the final puzzle pieces. The insulin and window information were my aha moments. Podcasts are my jam and I was thrilled to discover yours. I have one question so far. What do you recommend for heartburn while I am in my fasting state? Typically, I take the chewable Tums, but they are sweet flavored. I'm happy to suffer with heartburn to lose weight, but for public situations, I will need something. The wave of peace and relief that washed over me after starting your book, you will never know. I slept like a baby that first night knowing I could and would reach my ultimate goal of throwing away my scale. Jen, I love your no-nonsense approach and attitude that you expertly convey on the podcast. I know this will be my year. Thank you, Sandy. So this was great to have this because this is actually a condition. She's talking about having heartburn during the fast, which we don't know when she was having the heartburn, but I was assuming it was probably during the fast because it's after eating. But I did want to make a little qualifier here. Well, first of all, I don't think, Sandy, that you need to suffer with heartburn to lose weight. Heartburn is not a mandatory for losing weight. If you're having heartburn, there's something going on, which I talked about earlier. So addressing, adding HCL, adding enzymes, addressing your food choices, like you can solve the heartburn question. If you are experiencing heartburn during the fast, okay, so I don't recommend PPIs. I don't recommend doing anything to reduce stomach acid while you're eating because you want stomach acid while you're eating. However, if you're in the middle of your fast and you have heartburn and you're still trying to figure this out, you can experiment with taking baking soda to minimize the acid during the fast, but don't do it close to your eating because you don't want to reduce your stomach acid prior to eating, but I would not take Tums. (laughs) I was going to say the same exact thing. A lot of people use a little bit of baking soda for that. So there's an article that I always share. It's from the Houston Heartburn and Reflux Center. Does fasting increase heartburn? And so they talk about how when you're adjusting to fasting, sometimes 
it's because you've had those symptoms all along, but because you kept frequently eating, it kind of masked them. But now that you're fasting, they suddenly are like popping up, if that makes sense. Yes. So it seems like you're suddenly having symptoms you hadn't had before, but it's because you were constantly soothing it. And now you're fasting. So a lot of people then mistakenly think that the fasting causes the heartburn when really it's just like allowing you to experience it. I think that's the case with so many things with fasting. What's GERD stand for? It's like gastroesophageal reflux dis something. It can actually be mechanical in nature and not a sign that you are missing any kind of acid or have too much acid or whatever. It can be a mechanical problem. And, and they actually have you know, surgery they can do in certain situations that you know, you're not going to be able to take anything that's going to solve the problem if you've got a um, the mechanical issue going on. That's really good to note. Because it's not always something we can medicate away. Yeah, which is why PPIs are rarely the answer. Oh, no, I wouldn't take one if they tried to give me one. <laughs> Just from what I've read, you know, I think it leads to so many problems. It leads to a lot of problems with digestion and also small intestinal bacterial overgrowth because your food is is now going down into your small intestines in a way it's you know, like undigested. So you don't want to be shutting down your stomach acid production. Like we need that stuff. We need it so bad. It might solve that problem, but it's going to create another one. Oh, and actually, I didn't even think about this. We often are supported by bioptimizers. They're not a supporter of today's episode, but they actually have HCL Breakthrough, which is their stomach acid supplement, and it also has other digestive components to it. So that might be something to check out. It's a really great product. I've used it a lot. If you go to our show notes, you can usually find a coupon code that we have for them. So if you dance around the most recent show notes and find the most recent episode that had them on it, there's usually a code. Because often, usually our code applies to all of their products. Not always, but you might be able to use it on that one. I want to read the last little bit of this from the Houston Heartburn and Reflux Center. This is important. This is this is like the medical advice straight from them. If you constantly experience heartburn during intermittent fasting, we recommend a comprehensive GERD evaluation to stage your disease and tailor treatment accordingly. So if, if it's continuing to happen, then you need to have that looked at. Don't just keep taking baking soda. Okay, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yes. Because here, you know, it has to do with, you know, your your esophageal sphincter could be <laughs> damaged from years of, you know, anyway. There's a lot that can go on in your body. And just to iterate, I already said this, but don't take the baking soda right before eating, please. Yes. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all of these stuff we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. You can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Janishan Stevens. And I think that is everything. Oh, can I say something funny about Instagram? Yes. Every time I post a picture of a cat, my number of followers briefly goes down. Down? It is so funny. It's happened twice now. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, and I guess both times I noticed it just because, like, I crossed over a, a new threshold because I don't really notice that what's happening. But a couple of days ago, I posted a picture of my cat and I was like, oh, look, I have 26,000. That was a new number. And then I looked and it was 25.9. And But a few weeks ago, I had posted a picture of a cat and it was a similar kind of threshold. And I, I would had been up, posted the cat. I'd gone down. <laughs> so I don't know, people are like, must be dog people or... <laughs> Look, I have always said if you follow me on Instagram, there will be cats. So that's one of the few things. Well, I don't post my pictures of cats, but I love cats. I think cats are great. Well, I'm just living my life on Instagram. I'm not, you know, trying to influence you. I'm posting all of the crazy things that I just need to share with everybody. It's funny, like, whenever I meet somebody new, if I'm having a conversation, I feel like oftentimes something will come up really soon in the conversation that I have a link for. And I'm always self-conscious about it because it's like, I've just met this person and I'm like, oh, if you go to this link, there's a coupon code. And, and like, <laughs> I feel like it comes off like I'm trying to sell something from like the first conversation. It comes up with like wine, for example, because wine is often a first topic of conversation with random people. And Dry Farm Wines will come up. I'll be like, oh, if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon, our link, by the way, is slash IF podcast. You can get a bottle for a penny. I'm not trying to sell it to you. I just, <laughs> it's really good. You're going to be glad you got it. Yeah. I know. I just feel the need to share everything. Well, let me ask you this. Have you always done that from the time, like before the podcast, before we had coupon codes? Weren't you always telling everybody everything you did anyway? Yes. I just now have coupon codes and links for all of them. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in, in his book. I can't remember which one. But we're mavens. We're the people who try stuff and then tell everybody. I like must tell the people. Yeah, that's what I always did. And, and you know, going back way before this, I can remember my friend was reading that whatever that book was that he talks about that in. And she was reading it for a graduate level class. And this is way before I had books and podcasts. And she came to work one day and said, oh, my God, you're a maven. Because I just always tell people everything that I was doing and, like, make suggestions. That's why we have a podcast. That's why we have these shows. (laughs) This is how we can just be our, our mavenly self, right? But we just can't help it but tell you about stuff. The disclaimer I've realized I just need to have with these people at the beginning is I need to say, you know, I'm really passionate about a lot of things. I'm like do a lot in the biohacking sphere. If there's ever any product or something related to health, wellness, biohacking, I probably have a link for it that I can give you a coupon for, which is very true. When I first started a a new job, when we moved to Carrollton, Georgia, and I, I was a new third grade teacher there, several years after I'd been there, we were all at lunch one day and they talked about how I annoyed them when I first got there. They thought I was just over the top with all of my excited ideas. They're like, yeah, one girl, she was like, yeah, you came in, you were like, you know, 90 miles an hour. And we were like, oh my God, who is this girl (laughs) with all of your ideas? She's like, now, once we got to know you, we're like, yeah, whatever Jen said. And that was really good that they told me that because it helped me realize that I needed to not go into new situations 90 miles an hour. After a few years, they were like, okay, whatever Jen says, we'll do that. But prior to that, (laughs) they had to get to know me. It is really nice to have built the trust in the community. You know, people do want to know now my recommendations. So I still don't hold any liability and I I don't guarantee that anything will (laughs) Like, you got to find what works for you. That's true. Yeah. So 
I'm just telling about things that worked for me personally, and they might bring joy and wonderfulness to your life as well. So, or feel free to say, no, I don't want to learn about the Krebs cycle. Thank you. (laughs) All righty. Well, that was a really long epilogue at the end here, but I will talk to you next week. Likewise. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.